This show is brought to you by the North Face. Now, the North Face have been my sponsors for the last eight or nine years, and I'm really proud to be involved with this fantastic outdoor brand. Now, they've been in the outdoor industry for over 50 years, and they are the premier supplier of authentic, innovative, and technologically advanced exploration apparel. For your footwear, equipment, accessories, they've got the best stuff. Now, their lightweight and weather-resistant flight series running gear is my absolute favorite. So, if if you're into trail running, if you're into desert running, if you're into just exploring our mountains, then these, this is the go-to gear. And it's designed to endure, engineered to help you through the heat, through heavy downpours, or whatever else comes your way so that you can run no matter what, every day, any weather, any terrain, and never stop exploring. If you'd like to check out their whole range, go to thenorthface.co.nz. <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the podcast that gets deep into the psyche of extraordinary achievers across all genres, cutting to the chase to unlock the secrets of their success, their achievement, philosophies, and motivations. Join us in the quest to find out what makes the movers and shakers of our world tick and what gems and wisdom we can learn from them. Now, over to your host, Lisa Tamati. Well, hi everybody, Lisa Tamadi here once again on Pushing the Limits and thank you so much for joining us today. I've got a real treat in, in store for you, another inspirational woman athlete that I'm sure you are going to enjoy her story and get some inspiration from. But before we get underway, I just wanted to you know, ask you guys a big favour if you could go and uh, give us a good rating and review on iTunes. Um, each podcaster lives and dies on on the exposure that we get and the, the ratings that we get and the reviews, so I'd really, really appreciate you of course subscribing and sharing with your friends and family um, and I'd just like to thank um, my sponsors The North Face for actually hooking me up today with today's guests and for being my wonderful sponsors over the last eight or nine years a fantastic outdoor brand as you heard before so today I have Heather Hawkins with me who is sitting in her lounge in Coogee uh, in Sydney and Heather is an ultramarathon woman an adventurer but she's Bit of, has a bit of a twist to story, so I'd just like to welcome Heather to the show. Hi, how are you doing, Heather? Hi, really good. Thanks, Lisa, for having me on today. Oh, no, it's really, really special. I love talking to another crazy woman. <laughs> <laughs> I think you fit that category. So, yeah. Heather, um, in, a, in a nutshell, um, let's just go back, you know, to a little bit about your, your life. If, if we can give me the shortened version of your life... <laughs> <laughs> in five minutes, um, before we get into your actual sporting endeavours, you know, where did you come from? Where were you born? You know, all that sort of good stuff. Yeah. So I was born actually in Melbourne in Australia and uh, grew up near a place um, called the Arrow Valley. And, um, yeah, a, a really great childhood, fantastic um, parents. I've got two older brothers. And um, I was a sprinter in primary school, loved the shorter distance yep. and and thought <laughs> that long distance was just not my thing. <laughs> Famous last words, yep. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, didn't really do a lot of exercise, played a bit of hockey in high school, but beyond that um, didn't do very much. And... I had a bit of a, an adventurous spirit that was bubbling away for those years. Um, I guess listening to the stories of my dad when I was growing up, he he travelled around Australia back in the fifties, mm -hmm. um, and and we also um, when our family was was quite young, we went to live overseas in Canada, and 
then decided to come back. Australia was pretty good after all. So we uh, yeah, came back and, and um, basically uh, until I was 21, I lived in Melbourne. I did nursing after mm-hmm. I left school. And then set off to, to see the world at 21. I thought, right, get myself a camper van. I'll head off uh, to the outback and yeah, have an adventure of my own. And worked in Alice Springs Hospital and then on a cattle station for 12 months, which was a fantastic experience, uh, incredibly isolated. But, you know, to experience you know, what it's like to live out there in that remote, amazing, beautiful part of Australia uh, it was great. And, and that then, sort of, yeah, gave you a bit of an adventurous uh, spirit, I should imagine, being so connected to nature. It did. It really did. And then, uh, yeah, came to Sydney, met my husband, Doug, and didn't really travel very much after that. <laughs> <laughs> and then came along a couple of kiddies, I imagine. That's right. Yeah. So my oldest one, uh, Rebecca, so she's 25 now, and uh, and then Callum, who's 22. Wow. So, uh, yeah, so they're great. Yeah, becoming really independent in life. Cal's actually working in Canada at the moment as an outdoor adventure guide. Wow, um, perfect. Yeah, and Bex is an archaeologist. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, great. So, and Heather, um, back in, back, if, we, if we turn the clock back a few years, I know, you know, from your, your book, which we actually, what is the name of your book and when did that come out? Yeah, so my book's called Adventurous Spirit, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it came out in August 2017. Wow. So it's so not long ago. Fairly, yeah, the pages are still drying, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like that when you're an author, doesn't it? It, it takes such a long, difficult birth to get the thing out, and then, um, you know, to finally see it in print's a, a pretty special thing. Um, yeah. So how, how was that process for you, you know, well, like the, the book writing process and, and all of that? Yeah, it was a really positive experience because I, I came back from Nepal and, um, yeah, so Murdoch Books approached me with a book contract Wow! and said, Heather, we know you love a challenge. How about five months to write it? Wow. Uh, and that way, yeah, it, it'll we'll get it out pretty quickly. Oh, so well, I did. I, I knuckled down and did 3,000 words, you know, each week. Wow. And, 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 and smash it out in the five-month period. That would have been an ultramarathon in itself, but we're probably getting a bit ahead of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> Let's backtrack a, a little bit. Um, so, you know, a few years ago you had uh, a pretty scary diagnosis. Tell us about that and start the story there maybe. Yeah, I did. It came out of the blue. So I was 41 at that stage, um, busy working. We had our own film and video production company. And I just noticed some abdominal swelling that was, you know, persisting. It wasn't coming and go with going as normal, you know, with our period. Yeah. Um, and I had a f- real fatigue and, and also a bit of abdominal discomfort, you know, just a bit of pain. And at first I thought, okay, well, maybe this is what menopause is all about. Uh, 41, but yeah, yes. a bit early, but... Yeah, yeah, thinking, well, this must be it. I, I had better do some exercise because at that point... I was really doing no exercise whatsoever. Um, and then this was, you know, Christmas 2006. And then after Christmas in early January, I noticed the abdominal bloating was increasing. I was starting to look like I was pregnant and there was, yeah, there was no way that that could be. Um, and intuition kicked in. And I guess because of my nursing background, I thought, you know what, I'm going to just, you know, prod my tummy and 
what I've learned in nursing is, you know, you divide the abdomen into four quadrants. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, yeah, palpated the top. No, that just felt normal. And then when I got down to the lower right quadrant, it was firm. It was uncomfortable. And I just felt this rise of anxiety inside. I thought, there's definitely something growing. And at first I'm thinking, well, maybe it's just a benign ovarian cyst. I'm sure that's what it is. Yeah, which are very common and which I've had. Yeah, yeah, I've got... um, had a journey in the last year with a whole lot of fibroids and inside and outside the uterus. I'm very interested to hear how, how, you know, you found out about yours and what, what happened. Yes. Yes. So I thought, and that was a Sunday. So I thought tomorrow morning, I'm going to ring up my local uh, doctor who'd been a doctor, family doctor for 17 years and make an appointment. So I did. And I'm really glad I did because uh, I got in, you know, at 11 o'clock that morning he sent me straight off to have a CAT scan and as I was lying there um, having the scan done, the radiologist, you know, was saying, breathe, you know, hold your breath and I could tell his voice was becoming more subdued and I thought, oh boy, oh what something. are they seeing? Yes. They faxed the results straight back down to my GP. So that afternoon I sat in the, the I guess, the GP's rooms with my husband holding onto his hand hearing the words ovarian cancer for the very very first time. That's shocking. Oh, and you you just, you know, your world stands still. Yeah, it's that thing that you dread, you know, that we all have hanging over us, sort of dread that that conversation, that that time when you find out the diagnosis. How did you react and cope with the situation? What happened from then on? Well, you know, that initial few seconds, you're just trying to process it. You, you're quite blank. Uh, and then all the questions just come rising up from within. <laughs> Am I going to survive this? You know, what does this mean? You know, has it spread? Am I going to be alive this time next year? What about the children? And, you know, all these things. I'm a mum. I want to be here to see them grow up. Uh, so, um, and I guess one way I found of coping is, to become practical and work out, you know, a process yeah, of get, dealing with things. Get so, control. <laughs> yes, yeah. And I thought that that gives me, you know, something to do in, in, in facing it and dealing with it. So, you know, I, I sat down with the GP and said, okay, well, what's the next step? What what do we do, we do from here? So he referred me uh, to a gynecological surgeon who just happened to be my obstetrician who delivered Beck. Yep. <laughs> Uh, and I was able to get in to have surgery within nine days. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, and that was, honestly, that was a lifesaver. Yeah. Because the tumour was growing incredibly fast. Wow. Yeah. From that original CAT scan, that had showed that it was about 10 centimetres. When I had the surgery, it was up to 18 centimetres in diameter. In nine days? Yes. In nine days. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, a frightening tumour. So... But the amazing thing was that it was contained within a cyst and it was stage one. Wow. Hadn't spread. So hadn't metastasized, what do you call it, metastasize or, or spread to any other. So they, they managed to get the whole thing in one shot when they went in. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> so oh. did you have to then, you know, like you, you went through the surgery and they took your entire uh, hysterectomy and, and took yes. the tumor out. How yes. was how was that and, and, you know, were you happy with, you know, the fact that they'd gotten it all? Were they pretty sure? They, they were pretty sure. They I guess they took samples of yeah, any of the fluid in my peritoneal cavity yeah. and 
yeah, sent the yeah, my uterus and the fallopian tubes and ovaries and the tumour off to pathology for examination. Um, and fortunately, a few days later, the, the results came back. And yes, it was that they had got it all. Wow. Um, lucky, lucky lady, by oh, the sounds. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It just, oh, incredibly life-changing. I, I do remember, you know, laying on the trolley, going into surgery, you know, a little anxious thinking, I'm not sure what they're going to find. But, you know, my, my surgeon was incredibly skilled and, you know, not only did he take so much away, but he gave me back my life. That's yeah. how, how I look at it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely beautiful. Um, and did you have to then go through chemo or any of that sort of horrible stuff or, or were they pretty sure they had it? And Yeah, I, I was um, yeah, definitely recommended to go and see an oncologist to talk about chemo. And the plan was, you know, the conventional pathway was to go and have chemo. Um, but my next door neighbor is an oncology nurse and she said, please just get a second opinion because the professor, um, Professor Michael Freelander in oncology at our local hospital, was at the sort of the cutting edge of research yeah. and the latest clinical trials. So I thought, well, you know, I've got nothing to lose. I'll, I'll go Definitely. and see. And he just so happened to have on his desk the latest results of it, it's called a new surveillance program. So for women like me who have been found stage one, uh, you can go on to having regular blood tests. Like, so every two weeks, having a blood test to check for your yeah, the cancer yep. markets yep. Um, and having regular scans, which was every month to start with. And then if anything shows up, then you go pounce. and chemo. Yep. And I thought, you know what, that sounds like a really good plan. Absolutely. Because if they have got all the cancer, then yeah, if I was having chemo, it's terrible, dreadful yes. for the rest of you, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, look, I'm brave. I'll, I will give that program a shot. And here I am, eleven years later, and, and you look yeah. extremely healthy, I must say. Oh, thank you, <laughs> and so do you. And you do not look your age at all. <laughs> Mind you, that's very young. Aren't we? We're both very young, aren't we? Yes, we are. <laughs> but that sort of gave you um, the impetus to go to relook at your life, I imagine, and to go, okay, right, life can be taken at any stage, you know. Because sometimes you go through life and you're just bumbling along and and and, and not really living and, and, and just getting on with the day-to-day chores of, of life um, and not really going, okay. And I, and I, you know, man, I know this from my, from my own journey. There comes a time where you go, wake up, call. <laughs> uh, time to really start living and doing something. Was that the case for you? It was a complete shift in my focus in life. Uh, it's just like someone changes your compass, isn't it? Yeah, to, yeah. That you you start to realise that life, yeah, can be taken, as you say, can be taken away at any point, and you want to make the most of every single day, and you know your family and your friends, and and to start taking life up and you know ramping it up a notch or two, yeah. and. Yes, revisiting, and for me, it was refinding that adventurous spirit that I'd had in my youth, but also getting physical. Yeah, <laughs> and, starting to yeah. get fit again. So, and it yeah. took you a few years to get to this point too. I imagine, um, like, there's a bit of a lag between the age when you found out with the, about the cancer at 41, and then you didn't actually start taking up running until you were 47. 
That's right. That's, that's, yeah, that's still a – and you remind me very much of a, a dear friend of mine, Molly Sheridan, who you might have heard of, who's a crazy ultra runner in the States, and she started at 48. And she's 60, uh-huh. 61 now, still looks like 30, six-foot-tall blonde. Um, and, and she's still kicking ass at 61. Um, you know, and it's the perfect age to start, really, isn't it, 47? Your endurance is really right up there at that age. You're, you're – you know, you've got a bit more of a direction in life and a bit more nous when it comes to <laughs> being sensible, hopefully, and doing things correctly and, and so on. What was your journey like? Did you think when you started running, like, did you go out and plan to be running all these big major events and stuff? Or was it very much a, oh, we'll see how we go, inch by inch journey? Yeah, I really honestly did stumble into running. So um, in 2009, I actually became a surf lifesaver. And for me, that was the beginning of getting fitter and getting stronger. Uh, I was way out of my comfort zone, learning to swim <laughs> out and you know, paddle big rescue boards um, and running in the soft sand. So that, that for me probably was the very first step in getting fit. And then I signed up for a four-kilometre fun run. And it was to raise funds for breast cancer. And that's held every Mother's Day here in Sydney. Yep. So I said to uh, two teenage kids at that time, I said, hey, guys, let's let's sign up for this. I reckon this is going to be fun. So, And uh, so we had about three and a half weeks to prepare. Yep. I didn't have any running gear whatsoever. So <laughs> <laughs> I looked in my wardrobe and I thought, I have an old pair of gardening shorts, an old stripy T-shirt, an old pair of, you know, those Dunlop Molly <laughs> runners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and put them on and, and that was it <laughs> a local park and um because beck and cal had been running cross country they said okay we'll do a few stretches oh okay yeah sure show me what to do <laughs> and then and then there's this perfect four kilometer circuit at our park so i i headed off and my son cal was you know miles ahead yeah as he you know, should be yeah it is yeah <laughs> and come on mum <laughs> My daughter Beck was, you know, just hung by my side. And I got to about one and a half Ks. I was breathless. My legs felt like concrete. <laughs> and I spotted a water bubbler and thought, fantastic. Here's a really great excuse to stop and just gather myself yep. and, um, and kind of regroup and think, okay, I've signed up for this. I'm faced with a choice. You know, I can either say it's too hard, this is beyond me, or I can hang in there and finish this, this lap. Yeah. And come back tomorrow and yeah, keep training and up it. And, wow. and I yeah, and I that's the you know, I did the second thing. I yeah, hung in there and then I came back the next day and the next day and then went and bought some runners and some yeah, proper running yep, shorts. Yeah. <laughs> and fronted up to that race and as the, the starter hooter went off, I thought, Well, here we go. I'm just gonna give it my best shot to get to the finish line today. And about halfway through the race, it's it's held at Mrs. Macquarie's chair. So Sydney Harbour, you know, is, was sparkling that morning. It was absolutely beautiful. And I looked out and it was my light bulb moment. Yeah. I thought, you know what? I actually really love running. <laughs> it's going to be my last race. And when I cross this finish line, I'm going to see what else there is. Perhaps it's, you know, a little bit further that I yeah. can push myself. And that was the very beginning. That was the beginning of the end, so to speak. <laughs> uh, yes. So you, your first one was a 4K. And then what happened after that? Because, you know, 4K, yeah, okay, we can, we can you know, most people yeah. will, will stumble their way through that. 
But yes. you actually got the bug on that morning and then decided, okay, I'm going to up the ante. Um, yes. So what happened next? What was the next stage? Then the, the next race, it's called the City to Surf, and it's about 70,000 people flood the wow. streets of Sydney and run from the city to Bondi. Wow. It's a lot of fun, and it's that's 14K. Mm. So that's in the that's August. a big jump. So, yeah, yeah. So I was back at that park training <laughs> and had a lot of fun and felt really good with that race. And then I, I thought, well, you know what? In four weeks' time, there's the half marathon on in Sydney. Why don't we sign up for that? So <laughs> Becky Why not? Kelsey, sure, Mum. <laughs> yeah. And again, that uh, that was a great race. I mean, I I had really not much <laughs> the dog. <laughs> She's upset. Mum's talking to somebody. <laughs> so I think the postman's coming. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah, but I had no clue whatsoever about race nutrition. So all I had in my hand was a bag full of, you know, those lolly snakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of nibble on. <laughs> yeah, well, it's better than nothing probably at the end of a half marathon. <laughs> yeah, yes. So that that was probably my first real introduction into anything of, yeah, significant distance. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a, that's a half marathon. So that was in, what, six months or something within a six-month time period type thing? Yeah. Yes, yes, it was. Did that make a big shift in your mind and did you start to go like, okay, now I've got to get serious and start finding out how to actually do this stuff, you know, how to do this properly? <laughs> I did. I did. I started doing a lot of research about, yes, gear, you know, the, the I guess the, the mental side as well of how you cope when yeah. you, you hit the wall uh, and, you know, race nutrition and, you know, and also to find out what other races and to look at marathons, you know, to take that step up to do a full marathon. When did that That's happen? When was that, that um, step in the development, the first actual marathon? Yeah, so that was actually a year later. So I kept doing half marathons and yeah. I, I went back to the Mother's Day Classic and, uh, yeah, ran that 4K really fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I yeah, did the Sydney Marathon. So that was um, 2013 that I did, yeah, my first marathon. Wow. That's, so that's pretty fast development within a year up to a marathon. Um, and then you've just gone absolute bonkers and seen, really. <laughs> I have. I have. Oh, look, at you know, I've, I've now done 20 marathons, but it, it is the, the marathons and the ultras in more extreme locations that I, I absolutely love. Yeah. Oh. So tell us a little bit about your, like, um, did you ever have times, you know, this sounds all very smooth sailing, whether it was times when you were like in races or in, in training and going, you know, because a lot of people listening out there and go, well, heck, I have days when I'm feeling absolute crap and I don't want to go out and I feel my, my legs are like lead and I, you know, I'm not motivated. And how did you, did you have any of those or did, were you like, oh, I'm just naturally gifted runner? <laughs> And I've never worked hard for it, and it's just all fallen in my lap. <laughs> no, I think we we are definitely all human, and there are there are days, yeah, where I think I'm, you know, I'm so tired. Yeah. I, I don't feel like going out training. But you find the minute you get out there and you've taken a few steps, you go, I am so glad I've got out that door today. You come back feeling so much better. The first, yeah. the first mile is always the hardest, I find. You know, that, yeah. that, that phase while you're warming up and your body's been perhaps sitting in the office all day or in the car or something and then you've suddenly just got to oh, yank it out of this comfort place and go, you're running now. <laughs> That's why I think, you know, like a warm-up is so, so, so very important um, and something that we often neglect because of time pressures and so on. Um, 
But did you, so did you ever have, like, did you get into the ultra marathon and, you know, like hit the wall at 30K or or oh, suddenly yeah. go, heck, hang, hang on, this is a new territory for me? Yeah, definitely. And I, I still do find at times that happens where, you know, perhaps a course is a lot steeper than what I, I imagined yep. or I haven't prepared properly, you know, yep. due to time constraints or, you know, being unwell or something like that that, you know, it is confronting and it, yeah, it can be really demoralising, can't it? Because yeah. you're, oh, you know, how far have I still got to go? And I'm just feeling absolutely awful. I just want to curl up. But that's where that inner strength kicks in, doesn't it? Yep. And you, t- you tap into to that. And and for me, it, you know, I, I, I think back to, you know, getting through cancer, um, you know, the, the ladies that I, I met in the waiting room who've survived or others that haven't, yeah. you know, that have happened in, in you know your life in the past that you draw strength and courage from and you find yeah within no time at all you're back back you know getting your stride and you finish that that race on the day and there's just so many um you know, people who listen to my podcast and I harp on about this all the time but the analogies between running the metaphors between running and lo- and life the challenges that you face in your business or in your career or with your family or health uh, issues whatever you're facing um they are all represented in, in an ultra marathon especially or a marathon you know even um where you, you and it just teaches you when you've learned to push beyond this is why i think older people um are better at running you know when you're young you've got the speed and you can go fast usually been up for that long and as you get older, you start to have that grit and determination and that mental stability to be able to go, right, yep, okay, it's custard right now and everything in my body's screaming at me. But I, I know, you know I've gotten through other things and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll, somehow I'll get through this. And you have the, you have the frameworks and the, um, the, the, the strategies to get yourself to the next lamppost, you know, to the next mile marker or whatever it is that you're using to, to pull yourself through. Um, and and it, it strengthens you every time you push against that that pain barrier and that you push against the, the struggle and keep going, you become a stronger person in every area of your life. Yes. Oh, that's so true. And I, I think with every race, I've, I'm the sum of all the parts that's led up to this very point. Awesome. Yeah. Love yeah. that quote. That's very good. Because, yeah, yeah, you are the sum. And every time you push yourself outside that comfort zone, you've learnt a little bit more about who the heck Heather is, what yeah. she's capable of. And then you come home, doesn't, and it doesn't matter a hoot whether you won the race or you were last in the race or, you know, even when you failed in the race. And that's happened more than I care to imagine um you've learned more about your person as yourself as a person and your your strengths your character and all of those sort of good things and when you have the knockbacks and when you you know like I've had some big failures along the way I don't know whether you have or not but um you know how do you pick how how you pick yourself up from those failures is is a big mark of who you are and how far you've grown I think have you had yeah. any setbacks like that, you know, injury setbacks or failures in a race where you've gone trained for a year and it's gone to custard at that, that specific race that you were going for? There's been a couple of things where I've, with the Canberra Marathon, uh, my IT band, and I'd never had any issues with it beforehand, started to play up at about the 30K race, yep. the 30K mark. 
and that that was brutal. I, I you know was hobbling along and and got to the finish line, but I learned a huge lesson. And I was just being way too polite, staying on the left hand side of the road. Yeah. So the camber of the road. Oh yeah. And yeah. I learned a huge lesson from that. And yep. that took six weeks to recover from that. Wow. And, wow. yeah, I found that really tough. Did you have? <laughs> did you do a lot of mobility and things afterwards? Because, I mean, th- this is a common, and you know, so might as well talk about it for a moment because obviously a lot of listeners are runners. Um, ITB band issues and running on a camber, I, I found that when I ran through New Zealand, um, you know, 2,250 Ks in 42 days, the camber was what got me. I got yes. a ripped, ham, uh, ripped hamstrings, shin splints, and it was all because I was that uneven on, you know, one side the whole way and even if it's only a couple of inches you know it makes a hell of a difference eh? so it's little things like that you can, if you've got to try to get yourself you know within safety things obviously you yeah. can't go and run in the middle of the road um no. but and mo- that's why we're, we're really big like you know I do a lot of run, running coaching and online running company and Mobility, 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 foam rolling is a big part of that. Getting those uh, myofascial balls into the, you know, ITB band, but everywhere in the lower body. You know, the more you're training, the more you need to do mobility. Do you do that nowadays? I do. I'm a lot more mindful of it because you realize if if you don't, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> there's injuries around the corner oh that's that's right and it's about you know looking after yourself because running brings such you know enjoyment you know it's such a big part of my life that yeah I would be devastated if I couldn't do it again you know, yeah I meant <laughs> and it can yeah. be taken pretty quickly you know yeah. you get plantar fasciitis or shin splints or whatever and hello yeah. you can't run for a while and that can be devastating but you can prevent a lot of that through uh, mobility work and stretching and and strength exercises of course and um, yeah. yeah just yeah, I think that's a that's good to hear uh, for the listeners to hear that coming from someone else other than me because I harp on about it quite a lot <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yeah and so marathons and then you started to get into ultra marathons what what age were you then when you started to get into ultras yeah, so I, I guess my my first ultra was the six-foot track. That's only a little beyond a normal marathon. Oh, and yeah, but it's a trail nice. one. <laughs> yeah, and I love trails. Ah, oh, and that, that was brilliant. Um, so I learned so much about that, you know, coping with going up really steep yeah. Yeah, inclines and, and, and coming down again as, you know, your oh, your legs are screaming in the last <laughs> you know, couple of Ks as you're heading towards Janolan Cave's house. But, oh, you know, you cross that finish line and, you know, immediately thinking about the next race. Did you find the transition from marathon on roads where it's all about, you know, PBing and you're you know, trying to knock a minute off your last time and it's all, you know, very uh, performance orientated to then hitting the trails and then realising it can take twice as long to run a kilometre on a trail. (laughs) Was that a shocker for you at the start? I know like, you know, with coaching, we get a lot of people coming, you know, from the marathon, stepping up to ultras on trail or trail at all and then going, what the heck, it's taking me twice as long to run a kilometre, especially if it's single track and up, you know, steep hills and down dale. Um, did you find that transition a bit of a, a mind shift? I did. I found it really confronting looking at the times and thinking, what's wrong? What's wrong what's with wrong? me? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but, you know, you, you figure it out and, and, you know, just to have that fantastic scenery that you're running in as opposed to just bitumen, you oh, know, in the yeah. middle of the crowd. 
loud the whole time is just, you know, it's so freeing. And and I find people are just genuinely lovely, aren't they, out on the trails that you can it's have definitely a different a different uh, breed of people. Yeah, you meet in, in actually in ultra marathons as and trail ultra marathons especially um, to the crowd in the city marathon. Um, yeah. Not that they're not nice as well, but there's a different level of camaraderie. Yeah, there's less of the. I mean, at the top end of the pointy end of the field, there's always going to be competition and and you know pretty cutthroat. But really, you know, even if you're in the top third, there's a lot more. Uh, camaraderie and are you all right, mate? You're gonna, you know, do you need a hand? Are you, you, yes. you know, if someone's struggling, rather than we'll run over top of you to get to the finish line type of mentality that you do get on a <laughs> on a on a city marathon. It's like you know, who cares? Someone else can deal with that. I'm off, you know. Um, and that's one of the beautiful things about our sport, I think, is that camaraderie, and especially when you start getting into some really long distance stuff out in the real wilderness, where uh-huh. You've got to look after each other, eh, first and foremost. Yeah, very much. And I found that at the North Pole, you know, when we were out there with the conditions, um, you know, they, they changed halfway wow. through the race and it, it dropped to minus 41 with, Ooh. you know, wild winds. And wow. uh, That's you know, insane. <laughs> and, oh, it was, that was the most incredible race. Uh, but, you know, to, to be running with other people and, again, you know, you're, you're tapping each other on the shoulder or running next to each other and – you know, saying, are you okay? And, you know, can I do anything for you? And, and that, that was fantastic. You just what, knew you weren't alone out there. Yeah. What is, I mean, what is that race like? Because I've, I've never run in the temperatures like that. Um, you know, minus a marathon of minus 20 was probably the coldest that I've run. Did you find it a complete different ball game? Like, um, like it's very hard to do anything when you're that freezing cold. Uh, what sort of uh, special things did you have to have and what did clothes did you wear and all that sort of jazz? Yeah, so you basically have to be completely covered. So we had um, yeah, your thermals, your long-sleeve thermals um, and, and tights. Um, you, I had my Salomon Trail Runners, yep. um, two layers of yeah, merino socks and uh, you wear a balaclava and ski goggles and beanies and, yeah, great big Gore-Tex jackets. So it's a lot heavier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What yeah. you're used to running in, um, and I, I trained on on the sands at Coogee Beach uh, <laughs> <laughs> in the height of summer. <laughs> wow, not ideal, not ideal. <laughs> no, because I know some people hire industrial freezers and put treadmills in. Them. Really? But, yeah, wow. but, uh, that'd be oh, nice. Yeah, the, the thought of that, just, I just thought, no. Look, I'm just because I love running outdoors. Um, and so I thought, no, look, I'll train really well like I would for a, you know, a normal marathon or trail yeah. marathon and just buy really good gear. Yeah. And that, that put me in great stead because I found running on the ice flow, it was that soft uh, snow layer was just like running in soft sand. Yeah. So okay. So I, it did actually was quite a relevant um, yeah. training suitability running on the sand compared to the snow. Did you have those sastrugi things, you know, like where you've got lots of bumps and lumps and wave-like texture on yeah. the on the ice so it's not a smooth you know like on the I remember Pat Farmer one of my heroes um yes. fellow Australian of yours um yeah. <laughs> when he was said in the North Pole was a hell of a lot harder than the South Pole because of yeah. these things did you did you have that problem as well yeah very much because the ice flows bump together yeah so 
do. They create these these little hillocks, and you've you've yeah, you've got to kind of clamber over the top of them. And then in other parts, they're actually crevasses opening up where you can oh, wow. see the ocean. Wow. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you'd, yeah, you have to to jump those. Fortunately, there weren't too many. There was just one that was we were keeping an eye on that was opening up where the course was. Uh, yeah, that's a bit scary. Yes, <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the water there, you'd be history, wouldn't you? Within oh, within a minute, definitely. There would be no De- coming back from that. Did no. they fly? Where do they fly you into for that marathon? Yeah, so you we all meet at a place called Longyearbyen, which is up in Svalbard in northern Norway, and then you hop on a really old Russian Antonov aircraft. Wow, it's uh, forty. There were 45 competitors uh, from all over the world and they flew us up in two, two goes and you actually land on the ice floe. The Russians grade an airstrip. Wow. <laughs> Quite phenomenal. And they, each year they set up a, a research, a temporary base there for about six weeks. And that's where so, you base yourselves. Yeah. And yes. you run off from there. Wow. They're basically running circuits around um, the base and they provide armed guards um, yeah, with rifles just in case um, polar bears. Polar bears, come. yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I remember like, I tried to go to the Antarctic, which was one of my failed attempts to put an expedition together to go down there, and we wanted to run 100, uh, 100 miles on the um, Antarctic. Oh, and yeah. we just kept running into trouble with, with permissions. We finally got permission from the Army to be taken down there, but uh, then Scott Base. Uh, they had a, a civilian aircraft that nearly crashed there, and then they they just stopped all civilians going down there for a while. Um, yeah. So we so we didn't get there, and then you know another year our funding fell through, and 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 so on and so on because it's a huge amount of money to get down there and huge logistics. And we we just imagined you know we'd just run from A to B, but they said you, you yeah. can't do that. And I said, well, what about the guys skiing? You know, and they said, yeah, but they are. Their weight is distributed across a whole ski. When you're running, it's like having a pin going through paper. Yes. And you can, you know, break through and, and fall into crevasses and, 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 and things. And so the only option that we eventually came up with was to do a circuit around the uh, Scott Base area. Um, yeah. Which, you know, which we didn't even get to do that. But and that, and that was like, oh, but that's not quite what we imagined, you know. <laughs> Yes. You imagine, like you know, running a hundred miles with a maybe a snowmobile or a support crew or something, but um, yes. yeah, apparently it's not quite that simple. <laughs> no, no, because when we um, with the first marathon of the World Marathon Challenge, that that's in Antarctica at the Union Glacier. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Uh, yep. Yes, you have to stick close to the base. Yeah, the problem with crevasses. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and they yeah. have that. That um, there's a couple of races down there, I think that they have commercially but yeah yeah they're all in circuits and you can't just run willy-nilly off uh venturing across the (laughs) across across the antarctic apparently so so you're in the middle of blimmin timbuktu nowhere uh so you're actually staying on the russian base and then heading off in in a circuit around and around doing this 42k with these 45 other runners that's it how many days traveling because i know when you know like each one of these things takes like two weeks to get there and then the race lasts a day and then it's another two weeks to get home again. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> From Norway, it, it took us about, I think it was about four and a half hours to fly up there. Wow. And, land. Um, and then, yes, we basically, well, it took me six hours and 57 minutes yep. to 
to, to run the marathon and yeah. I completely surprised myself because I, I thought, look, I'll, I'll give it my best shot. I want to come home with all my fingers and toes attached. Yeah. Yeah. I just turned 50 yeah. and I ended up winning the, the women's division. Oh, amazing. I, oh, it was just one of those amazing races where it just all came together. And Fantastic. even though my, my phone froze with my music <laughs> on, <laughs> that last two songs and disappeared on me. <laughs> but, but it meant it was a you know, much more profound race because I, I just spent time thinking um, and yeah, reflecting on life and remembering, you know, people in my life and thinking about the future and how grateful I was, to, you know, to be alive. And yeah. to cross that finish line was an absolute amazing moment. And I remember running up the last 50 metres towards where they had the flags out um, and grabbed yeah, the, the Aussie flag, thinking, what's something profound I can say? And I crossed the line and all I came out with was a word I hadn't said since I was a teenager. It was, <laughs> that was unreal. <laughs> Very uncool, Mum, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but there probably, yeah, was no better way to describe it. I mean, that's yeah. a pretty special event for sure. I mean, that would be absolute <laughs> awesome to get there. But you've also done... The seven marathons and seven continents in seven days. Was that actually part of that one? Was that the first one or? No. So no? this was, um, yeah, the North Pole was in t- May 2015. Yeah. And then, yes, I, I was the same race organisers do the World Marathon Challenge. So I thought, you know what, that's something to look forward to for 2016. So wow. I signed up for that next one. And that's where the, the first race is Antarctica. So yep. I thought that that balances my world out really well. Totally. And that's just awesome. That's just epic. <laughs> so how did they compare actually Antarctic with North North Pole then? Yeah, Antarctica's a lot easier. It's definitely not as cold. It was only yeah. about minus 25, I think. Yeah. Um, and the the ground is a lot more solid underfoot. Yep. Yeah. It, you, your foot definitely doesn't sink down into the snow as much. Um, and we ran, I think that were, yeah, again, it was 10, about, no, it was four laps, four laps of 10. Yep. Okay. So it wasn't as many, you know, go heading around in circles (laughs) as, as North Pole. Um, and that, that was so exciting, you know, because, you know, the minute they said go, we knew the clock was ticking and that we had 168 hours to then complete the seven marathons. And it was just like, this is marathon number one. Here we go. Insane. uh, Yeah. And, and then, you know, yeah, how was the logistics of all that? That must have been like massive, massive preparation to, to oh. so the transport. So you go over on a ship, do you, to start with? And then they fly no, back? Again, that's, no, again, it's a flight. This yep. one was called an illusion aircraft. Mm-hmm. Again, a very yeah, amazing old sort of cargo shell type um, aircraft you're on. And yeah, you land down at a place called the Union Glacier where there's a permanent, well, camp at that time of year. And yep. uh, yeah, so you run that and then bundle back onto that aircraft and then we flew back to Chile to Punta Arenas where we had a few hours rest and then ran the second marathon there along wow. the beach. Wow. Uh, yeah, and I found I was a bit dehydrated yep. with that. That was a bit of a wake-up call for me. Obviously, I hadn't drunk very much. In Antarctica. No, because of the cold <laughs> uh, and so on. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I got real, I was really fatigued and really thirsty throughout that race. So, um, I, was, I was so glad to get to the end of that 42K. And then we had basically a night's sleep and jumped on the plane to go up to Miami after that. Oh. What a change. <laughs> Within two days from the Antarctic to Miami. 
Yeah, so we were running in, yes, the heat along the beachfront as the, yeah, as Miami was waking up, we were, yeah. Your body must have been just going, what the hell is happening here? That's it, because you're just thinking, you know, where am I? What time frame? Where, yes, what city am I in now? (laughs) And then it was straight onto the plane again, off to Madrid uh, and running in a park in central Madrid. Wow. And, yeah. and did you tr- have real big trouble too? Because of the, what what um, you know makes me think about that is the the jet lag. You know, like the jet lag yeah. combined with the inflammation in the body, and the fatigue and the sleep deprivation, and the that's what makes that challenge hard. I mean, running seven marathons in seven days is not that hard. I mean, no. re- relatively speaking. Yeah. But yeah. to add in the 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 changes in temperature, the changes in you know, in traveling massive massive distances. Oh, that's it, and you're eating airline food. And yeah, you can bring with you, and yeah, and as you say, it's you're trying to get as much sleep as you possibly can. Yeah, uh, and you know, I, I took my com, you know compression socks and yeah. you know the roller and just yeah, hydrating and yeah, you know, you're just coping with jet lag yeah. <laughs> as best you can. Wouldn't have been much fun after the third one, probably, (laughs) would it? So, yeah, Madrid was uh, the, what was that, fourth one? That was the fourth one. What what was after that? And then there was um, Marrakech. That was five hours after we finished um, Madrid. That that was the toughest turnaround. And what happened to me in Madrid, um, the sun was setting and I had about 500 metres to go to the finish line. I took my sunglasses off kind of, you know, lost concentration just for a few seconds and tripped over. I just oh, could no. I could not believe it. Ah, oh. <laughs> just uh, fortunately didn't break anything, but I was just so badly grazed on my knees and elbows and just yep. it, it shook me up and yeah. mentally and emotionally it, yep. it just completely floored me. Yep. Because oh, when you're exhausted and fatigued, any little thing, because yeah. your adrenaline's already through the roof because your body's in emergency <laughs> mode and then something yeah. like that happens and you're just completely shaken up, eh? Oh, it did. And I remember, you know, sitting on the bus at, heading to the airport, just curled up, just, you know, quietly okay. sobbing. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Going, Heather, you know, it's okay, it's okay. Uh, yep. Yeah, and then fronting up to the start line. In Five hours station. later. <laughs> yes, and it was midnight. Shit. Hadn't had any sleep. That, that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we're running around the city square. You know, the city was asleep. It Yes, it was wow. quiet. And there we, we were, you know, going round and round and round and round. But as tough as that was, that ended up being one of my favourite races because I, I knew I had to aim up. I, I had to get through it. And, and yeah, I had a lot of tears yep. um, in that race. Uh, but I crossed that finish line, um, you know, at half past four that morning uh, going, you know, I, I've done it and I'm so glad to be alive, even though that was so tough. You know, yep. I am a survivor. Yeah. Um, Exactly. And, yeah, I'm going to get through, and I've got two more races to go. We can do this. <laughs> so, and what was oh, next on the agenda? Like another quick turnaround somewhere else? No, there was it was a flight to Dubai, so we had a a bit of time, and we got to Dubai. Sort of, I think it was about three o'clock in the morning, and we had about two three hours where we could grab a bit of sleep, have some breakfast, and then yeah, run along the beachfront in Dubai. Shoot. And then, <laughs> then we had a long flight to Sydney. For oh, the final man. <laughs> but yeah. that one would have been like the yeah. homecoming. I mean, back to your own hometown. And... 
It was incredibly emotional. It was just so wonderful that it worked out. Sydney was the last one. Yeah. And again, that started at half past 11 at night to, to fit into that 160-hour time frame, eight-hour yeah, time frame. And family and friends gathered oh. and they, they stayed up all night cheering everyone along. It was it was awesome. amazing. Oh, yeah. And to get across that finish line and go, thank goodness there's not an eight continent. <laughs> <laughs> I can rest now. I can, I can die now. I can go to just – that must have absolutely smashed it. How long did it take you to recover from that, like mentally and physically – yeah, you know, I I recovered incredibly well that I found myself three weeks later and probably in hindsight it wasn't the wisest thing, but I I'd, I'd decided to go trekking in Nepal with um, my two teenage kids and that <laughs> oh, was three man. weeks after and it was for a five-month trek. It was to go from east to west, oh, Nepal. Oh, my God. <laughs> Heather, you're insane. I am. And that, you know, it's along the Great Himalayan Trail. So obviously my preparation for trekking was not ideal and my recovery from the world. Recovery, my gosh. And and time out, like five months and your kids came too. Like that's, that's, I mean, I, you know, done done a bit of trekking in the Himalayas and that's not easy either. (laughs) Altitude and. Yes, yes. It was an incredible experience and we, we were up, going across high passes over 6,000 metres and it's just the most beautiful, beautiful part of the world and the, the Nepalese people are so mm. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. they are. a fantastic team from World Expeditions supporting us. And, um, that's yeah, a bloody that's, long way. I mean, like did you have any troubles? So you were part of a group obviously. Did you have any troubles within the group? Because, I mean, I've done a few things in the Himalayas and um, shorter, shorter ones but around different massives and stuff, races. Um, and you know, like you could just see the the group disintegrating as the race went on, and uh, people were being flown out in helicopters. And I mean, we we went around the the Manaslu ma- massive, and oh, well, that was two hundred and fifty k's in what was it? Wow. Uh, nine days. We had one day when we were going over the pass that wasn't part of the race, but the rest of it, you know, just for safety. But yeah, we had like three rescues, like with six people having to be helicoptered out, altitude sickness, because we were going up so quickly. Yes, that yes. it was twice as fast as what was recommended, and and people felt. But I, I found it really, really tough going. Um, oh, that that must have been incredibly tough because uh, you know when you're trekking and you're climatizing, you know when you go yeah. up. Yeah, I was just sort of 500 metres and come dropping back down and taking your time. That's tough enough, but I can't imagine what it's like to actually run. Yeah, well, it's actually <laughs> stupid. Um, yeah, like going up oh. that quickly, we did run into, and it was the first time that race had been held, and a lot of people just were not. And even, I mean, I, you know, I've done a lot before, but I still was not prepared for, like the distances seemed, yeah, they're manageable, you know, when you read yeah. it on a piece of paper. And then you got there and like, I remember one day it was only 18 Ks, but it yeah. was like vertical and it was just, you know, uh, in, you know, we, well, I don't know how many we lost on that day, but it was pretty, pretty rugged. But, you know, that was only 250-odd kilometres, like not 1,700 kilometres. Yes. That's just mind-blowing, man. Oh. <laughs> Tell you, what, there, you know, there are some days where you just fly along and you just think, this is absolutely awesome, I could do this forever. And then naturally you have other days yeah. where you're just struggling. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I had to learn how to, I guess, climb. climb. I hadn't done yeah. that in 
before and they, they, the Sherpas taught me as we were heading towards those really high um, difficult sections on the fixed lines. Um, and then definitely as time went on, you could see the effect that it was having on our bodies. Yeah. You know, I lost six kilos yeah. and you know I, I knew that I'd burnt a lot of my reserves and um, definitely those last couple of weeks when we were getting so close to that, that western border with Tibet, we, yeah, we were doing it tough, but emotionally, you know, we were so strong because we knew we were nearly to the end. Wow. Um, oh, and, you know, on that day when we finally did get to the border, it was, it was yeah, an unbelievable, incredible moment to, yeah, to touch the border. And yeah, think, wow. pretty neat, hey? We're finally here after hanging on to that, uh, that, you know, that, that image for, you know, five months. And your kids, you know, how did they cope with the, you know, the, all the stress and, and, and stuff of... You must be a very close family that you can. And what does your yeah. poor husband think? Oh, he he has he's incredibly supportive. He would have come, but he has issues with his knees. Yeah. Um, so he said, well, "You guys go and have this adventure, and I'll keep life and soul together here at home." Um, and we oh. chatted on the satellite phone, which was great. Yeah. You know, about every week. Um, but we are we're a really close family, and we yeah. You know, we did have any issues. You know, we talked them through, and and the the wonderful thing was actually my daughter Beck, her boyfriend came along as well. Wow! And um, and he proposed to her. Oh, lovely! <laughs> How gorgeous! So that that was yeah a really really special occasion. And I just thought, you know, their the foundation of their relationship is pretty yeah, strong. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you like, if you can if you can survive something like that together, you're sweet for life. I think because <laughs> that really it. sorts out any. You cannot hide when you're, you know. I mean, obviously you're a very positive and bubbly person, um, but you you know the realities of doing things like what you've been talking about. And not so glamorous and not so easy as it sounds. Um, yeah, yes. There are, there are the, the emotional lows that you can't really express in a, in a podcast. Um, and, you know, it's not all roses, I know. Oh, it's, it's not. It's not. And there, you know, I, I kept a diary and, it, you know, I love looking back at it because, you know, I've, I've written so openly and honestly on those, you know, those days where I think, I don't know if I can go on or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really tired or I'm, I'm get missing home and missing my yeah. husband. Or, you know, <laughs> you know, it's a long time to be out on the trails and, and yeah, not having a shower for weeks on end yep. and having the best beanie hair in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you end up wanting to shave it off. Eh? Yeah. Your legs are unshaved and you look like an absolute write off. But what an experience with your children. I mean, what just to share something that uh, really deep, uh, you know, to go to places like that's that's rare. That's rare to have that time with your you know young young uh, adults. Yeah, um, that that was the wonderful thing that you can have those those conversations that are often in life. You know, we we get busy, don't we? Yeah, you just <laughs> don't have them. Today. Yes, yeah. So it gave us those opportunities to to talk and you know about dreams and life and goals and the future and yeah. Well, they was, sound like they're really well set up, young. Adults <laughs> say after doing that. So here, the next week, I hear you're off to the marathon de sables because you obviously haven't had enough. <laughs> Are you ever going to slow down? Do you think this is you now, for you know, for the foreseeable future? And you know, it's interesting. Yeah, quite a few of my friends say, "Heather, is is this it?" Or yeah. Will you know when to stop? And I guess my answer is that every year I love to do a challenge. And while I, I feel up to it and I'm well and I'm enjoying it, 
I yeah, I will each year. I'll, I'll choose a challenge and, and aim up to do it. Um, what do you say to people who go, crikey, you you know, you've already had a scare with cancer, and then putting your body through this, aren't you, you know, pushing your luck? And I'm being the devil's advocate here, yeah. you know, because I mean, I. I think the more exercise we do generally the better but I've had you know in the last couple of years some major health implications from what I have done and am aware now of that it does take its toll uh, even though like you think uh, you're bulletproof um, and I'm tough I'll just you know tough it out Um, you know there are there are certain things you have to keep an eye on your hormones can get up the whops your adrenals can get yes. exhausted your you know my my case my kidneys are not in happy state um all of these things that can actually have long term things so what would you say to someone who says you know you you're damaging yourself <laughs> yes yeah no, my my answer would be that i i guess i don't train at a you know a top level all year round that that i have downtime you recover um yeah. yes yes and i Yes, I do. I, I, I put on weight again and I just, yes, I live normally. You know, I, I, I do, you know, a normal amount of, you know, nice running, but um, I don't, I guess, get out there and clock up extreme kilometres. In other words, you give your body out. time to, you, you, do. you do something massive, but then you give yeah. it time to recover generally. I mean, I apart do. from going yes. from the seven marathons to the Himalayas in two months is probably not, but yes. um, <laughs> but apart from that, and you have times, I mean, you know, I've had times in my life where you've just gone hard out, hard out for a year and a half and then yeah. gone, okay, now I need a serious break, <laughs> you know. But I, that, I think that's a really, and as you get, you know, more into your journey, you start to go, okay, yep, um, a couple of times a year, maybe once a year, I can... I can push the boundaries of possible and yeah. I'm, I'm healthy the rest of the year and okay on that occasion I might be pushing the, the limits but I'll recover properly afterwards and, and have longevity in the sport, you know. So I think that's really important uh, as a coach that you're making young or, you, you know, even athletes that are older like we are um, aware that you're not a machine you still got to listen to certain signs, and that is not being weak, and that is not being uh, anything but sensible. I think definitely yes. And and what I what I found was a really good lesson was those those five months when I was writing the book. I, at first, I felt a little guilty that I, I wasn't running as much, and I felt that my yeah my fitness levels were slipping away. Yeah. But I found that I've come back from writing that book a whole lot stronger. Yeah. <laughs> and that. Yep. That real desire to, you know, to run and that first love of running, you know, I've revisited it. It's like, you know, almost like starting again in some respects. Fantastic. I think that's really, you're you're lucky because that does recharge the batteries and it's only when you, it's only in the the time off is where you actually improve and it's only, you know, if you don't have enough and mentally you need to, because you go through hell on these things. There's a lot of pain involved. There's a lot of suffering and there's a lot of preparation and money and finances and the whole shebang that goes with it. Uh, And that can be really exhausting. And so, Mm. you you know, you've got to have times where you you come back in and you, you know, get out of the cold and you you, you sit in your warm house and go, whew. And then those times where you can actually digest the experience too and reflect on it and learn from it. Well, then if, if you're just going back to back to back races, you don't necessarily develop the good side of it. You know, you don't get the benefit of it because you're just planning for the next one. That's it. That's it. And I love calling that my processing time. You, you get that chance, don't you, to reflect. And I guess... 
kind of digest what you've been through. And, yeah. and I, I love writing things down in my, my diary. And, and yeah, it's that way to get out what's what's on the inside, what my emotions are, what I'm thinking. And then, yeah, it just feels like you can then sort of have this sense of order and then start to plan for the next one. It's, yeah. Get your energy kind of, back for the next attack. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, as we're, we're about to, to um, you know, um, finish up here, Heather, but is there any... Uh, you know, top three things, pieces of advice for for people starting out perhaps and, and, you know, think of your journey within five years going from your first 4K to running all these crazy ultra marathons and marathons and, you know, doing all these crazy adventures, you know, and, and that at the age of from 47 to what, you're 52 now. 52, 52. Yes. I mean, you know, that's so inspiring. It's a good role model for me. It's a good role model for lots of other ladies who are like maybe, you know, in, in their 30s and 40s going, oh, well, I've missed the boat, you know. Yeah. You, you haven't, <laughs> hey. <laughs> no, definitely not. And, you know, for me, I think age should not come into it. It doesn't matter what age you are. And, and just to get out there. And it's amazing if, you, you know, in bite-sized pieces, you can work your way up to those goals that you have, the things that you might think are impossible at the moment. But you can, step by step, you can get there. And, uh, yeah, and that first 4K race that I did is never far from mine. And and I think, wow, <laughs> look, you know, what I look can do what today, what my body has responded to and the joy that it brings me and to and to never give up and to just enjoy every single moment uh, of life of and whatever process. it brings. Yes, yeah, the good days, the not-so-good days, whatever, you know, the challenge uh, comes our way that we can be challenges back at it and, yeah, and hang in there. That's beautiful, Heather. So, Heather, where can people find you uh, on the net and and your book where, um, you know, uh, the the title of the book again is Adventurous Spirit? That's right, yes. So Heather Hawkins, Adventurous Spirit, people go out and buy the book. Um, And it's available probably in in stores and on Amazon and, and all that sort of good stuff. It is. It's on um, Booktopia and it's on Book Depository uh, for international sales. Uh, it's also as an audio book and an e-book as well, uh, which is, yeah, that, that was great and it was a privilege to be able to record the audio book um, to do that. Um, yeah, and probably the best place to follow me is online with um, Facebook. So it's Heather Hawkins, Adventurous Spirit, and that's my, my page. So, I'll, yes. Everybody go and like that page and follow it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Heather, for your time today. I really appreciate you taking an hour out of your adventurous life to to, to share your insights and wisdom with us. And, um, you know, we look forward to seeing how you go at the Marathon de Sables next week. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Lisa. It's been wonderful to chat and you're a real inspiration. 